just a, a great joy to uh, have these blessings that we enjoy this baptism service, uh, the, the singing and the worship, and yet beyond it all, knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, is more than amazing. It's the kind of song we could just keep singing over and over. That's why the, the writer put it together like that. Just wrote those phrases over and over again for us to sing it that way. And yet, maybe it is that here this morning, uh, there you sit and struggle. and You're tired or worn out. Um, that that's something that we have to deal with and and we go through those kind of times i've said it before and i'll say it again i wish there's a little uh um tablet i could give you you know just to say here take this and it'll be all right but uh god allows these things for us to face so that we will uh look to him and find him as our strength Find Him as our joy. Find Him and in His peace. And this all comes from one little fountain, which isn't little at all. It's the fountain of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel of grace, we find strength, we find grace upon grace. Uh, We find Him to be our all in all. Um. This morning, we're going to be looking at this passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. If you would please take your Bible and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to look at the Bible that's there in the shelf in front of you in the pew. Um, I am so glad that uh, God has given us His Word. Um, and I want to do my best to present it. If, if we don't do that, then this is a waste of time. It's really a waste of time if we don't have God working in us and God's Word to look at. And so I want to encourage you, when I share a verse and we don't look it up, jot it down in your notes. You know, track along in that with the outline. Um, if I'm saying, here, here it is, look at this verse, we need to look at it and thus God speaks to our hearts. That's what we need. We need God to speak to our hearts and us to say, okay, now, I'm going to go now and walk in His way and draw close to Him. You know, we live in a world full of ideas, constantly bombarded by them. They're so common. They're so catchy. um, We end up being lulled into thinking. A lot of them just, they're fine. And they really won't hurt us. Um, You know, no harm done by them. They really aren't that bad, all these ideas that keep coming across to us. But if you're a Christian, you and I have to come back to this. And in Him. There it is. You see it in your outline. And in Him. And then we fill in the blank. You are complete. Or if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I say, I am complete. And a lot of times... We, we've got to be 
drawn back to that truth because many times the way we react in life situations is that we say, no, I'm not quite complete. I need this and I need this and we need this more than, you know, look into the word, look into the Lord in his way. Now, I want you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to say it to yourself and in him, I am complete. Okay? And in him, I am complete. And this is something that doesn't stop here this morning. You keep saying it through the day. I am complete in him. Why? Because I'm so good? No, because of he being so wonderful, so marvelous, so glorious. He did it. Okay? And there's no installment plan in salvation. Aren't you glad? There's no installment plan with Jesus and in his plan of salvation. Once you receive Christ as Lord and Savior in your life, you receive the package deal because you've received Christ into your life. It's Jesus. It's not a list. It's not a code. It's not a secret password. It's Jesus. Okay? And you say, why, why do you keep hammering this, Swenson? Because all throughout life, this is what we have to come back to. It's about Jesus with my problems, with the problems of this world, with the problems in my family, whatever it might be. I've got to come back to Jesus. Why? Because this is so important. Because most of us tend to believe the voices of man-centered philosophy find sounding arguments. That's what Paul mentions in the letter to the Colossians. We've gone over that. He says, oh, beware, don't get deceived by these fine-sounding arguments. And folks, they're all over the place in our lives, all over the place in this culture. And they can very easily be looked at as being, hey, there's nothing wrong, there's no, no harm in it. And yet, this is what happens, just slowly, a little bit dilution here, a little bit diversion there, and we're, you know, we're drifting off from this reliance upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. And yet we can rattle off things like Bible verses at the same time. We must rely on Him alone. And so, just get it into your brains. There is no installment plan in salvation. Once you've become a Christian, you have it. It's, you're complete in Christ because of Christ. Okay? These fine-sounding arguments that are out there in this culture and in ourselves and in this world uh, and from the enemy, Satan himself, they're out there. They're, they try and persuade you to agree with uh, something that you need, that you need something more than Jesus or something along with Jesus. And it, it's like it, it makes us think that God's people have a, like a special, you know, groupy group. <laughs> Like a, a BFF group with God. And you're not quite good enough because you haven't, you haven't gone through everything that you need to go through to get on God's BFF group. And we do. We, we think those ways. And then we think, you know, it's like, well, if I do a special training class for spiritual growth, then I'll be a better Christian. And if I don't do bad things, God will really bless me. And if I just get my act together, God would favor me more. 
And we fall then into what? We fall into a performance trap. That I've got to perform more or better for God so that He'll bless me or favor me. So we get going in there. You, you understand where I'm at? You relate to that? And so you've got to come back to this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you must come back to this. And in Him, in Him, I am complete. Am I perfect? No. No one is. We already kind of addressed that with Cami. You know, and, and no one is. But are we going on this direction, on this pathway to say, I will get to know Jesus better and better and better. That's what I want to do. I've got to stop trying to gain favor from God by my behavior. If you're thinking that way, you're on the wrong track in life. You cannot gain extra favor from God by doing extra things. Because He has blessed us with all heavenly spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, in Him, in Christ. So... And if we fall for that line, you know, what we end up doing is what all sorts of American people do who are really good American people and they end up thinking, well, at the end of my life, if I just, you know, if I just figure, well, God will look at my life and, and look at the things I've done in a good uh, sense and he'll, he'll, he'll weigh those out and then he'll weigh out the bad things and hopefully I, I did really good things and he'll look at that and say, well, yeah, come on into heaven. And most of you know that does not work. That's not going to happen. You cannot you know, grade or weigh out your good works versus your bad works. And God says, yeah, come on. No, he doesn't go by that. He goes by perfection. That's why we need Jesus. I need Jesus. It's his righteousness was perfect. And once I believe, once I have faith... And Romans 5, 1 says, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Because I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did now accounts for me. When God looks at me, he's looking at what Jesus did for me. I'm in the courtroom of life and I'm begging for mercy. And it's Jesus that I point to. Right? And it'd be better in the courtroom of life just to keep your mouth shut and point to Jesus, right? So, we've got to be careful of that performance trap. Um, these voices that we tend to listen to in life, these ideas, they're all... It's really the thing of discerning. Are they really... Hollow and deceptive philosophies? Are they based on human tradition? That's what Colossians tells us. You've got to be watching out for them. Beware of it. Don't, don't get caught in that. And so as we walk through the study in God's word this morning, we see that Paul gives us this theme that we're complete in Christ or it's the, about fullness in Christ, which is based on if we're saying we're we're complete in Him, it's because we've been connected to Him through faith in Christ. And being connected to Him then identifies me with Christ. And what the girls just did, they identified themselves through the waters of baptism. 
they identified themselves in that way. Saying, I trust in Christ. He's my Lord. I want to live for him. Now, in this passage, I want you to look now at Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. We've already kind of touched on this idea of verses 9 and, and 10. And in 11, it says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh of, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay? So... Paul is going to use three metaphors that we need to try and understand here. And it's to communicate how the Christian has received this fullness in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're complete in Him. You've received the fullness of Christ. And the three metaphors that he uses are circumcision, baptism, and resurrection, or made alive in Him. Okay? Some of this language, we look at it maybe for the first time, we say, oh, my goodness, what's that? Especially this first one. You know, it's always a challenge to talk about circumcision in a mixed group. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Some of you look like you didn't get that at all. (laughs) Okay. But. Each one of these, each one of these metaphors exposes a type of voice that we tend to listen to or, or hear from, from our culture, that we tend to assume about ourselves. And the voices especially can haunt our young people. And these voices are things like this. I'm not really wanted. Um, no one really likes me. I, I'm not wanted. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Uh, voices that would say, I'm, I'm not um, good enough and therefore I'm not able. I, I can't do it. And really, in recognizing these are some of the, this is where some of us live and deal with these kind of things. We're struggling with this. And maybe it's that you're, you're old and, you know, retired or whatever, and you still deal with stuff like that. And so... To answer those kind of voices, we go off grabbing a hold of other things. Saying, this will give me some worth. This will make me feel better, and I can do that. And here we see in this passage how God has settled these issues for the believer in salvation. To show how complete it's done. How complete it really is. I was, I've been thinking of this this morning. Um, if, if we were all in the government or in the, in the, um, in like the, the Marines or something, sorry, you know, for those that aren't in the Marines or whatever, but in the Marines, you, and we're all going to go up in the big, huge airplane and, uh, parachute down into this enemy territory, right? And we all get parachutes and you know, we're, what are we doing? We're figuring that that parachute is complete. If it's not complete, um, I'm in trouble. If it doesn't have enough strings holding that chute together, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. And what Paul is saying is, it's complete. 
It's a done deal with salvation. Now, I want to share these points with you. And it starts with, and we were singing about it earlier. Number one is a complete rescue. He's already said, you're complete in Christ. And now he's going to kind of break it down for us and say, and here's what I mean by it all. Number one, it's a complete rescue. And it's identified with circumcision, letter A, circumcision. That God, you know, in Old Testament times gave his people this sign, a sign indicating they were his chosen people. The act of circumcision was a cutting off of excess, a a cutting off. And it was always designed to be a circumcision of the heart. That was what he was driving at, that your heart being full of sin needed to have that cut off. Okay. And God commanded the Israelites to perform the act upon all the males. And no other people had this kind of thing going. Why? Because it was an identifying mark upon the people. Okay? It meant they were chosen by God. And Paul uses this as a metaphor to show the believers now, he's talking to believers in Jesus Christ, that this is what is, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, that's what happened to them. Okay? He says that it was done without hands. That's what he says here. Done without hands. Done by Christ. And what it's referring to is the old flesh. Your old flesh nature. Your old sin nature has been cut off and, and, and put away. Paul alludes to this same concept. Mark it down. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Okay? So it's not a physical, but a spiritual circumcision. William MacDonald, in his commentary, says it refers to Christ's death on the cross of Calvary. The thought is that when Christ Jesus died, the believer died also. A a representation that when you put faith in Christ, you, in essence, died with Him at the cross. He died to sin. Romans 6.11 He died to the law and to self. Galatians chapter chapter 2 verse 20 He died to the world. Galatians 6.14 And when you were saved, you were associated with Christ in His death. In the same way, when you were born, okay, you're associated with Adam. You're associated with Adam. Because you're, you're born in what? You're born in sin. Okay? So the spiritual circumcision is the putting off, the cutting off of the sinful nature. That's circumcision. Letter B, you're identified in baptism. Again, not a physical baptism, but a spiritual one. A metaphor pointing to the aspect of death and burial, of, of the sinful nature. Death and burial of you in your, with your sinful nature. That's why we need to make it clear that in the waters of baptism, nothing mysterious happens. Nothing happens there because it's already been, it's already happened when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They're simply putting on display what's already happened in the heart when they are in the waters of baptism. We tease about it. It's only foul and water. Okay? 
So this points mainly to the picture of burial. A burial of all we were apart from Christ, thus acknowledging that nothing in ourselves could work to please God. In burial, we put off, uh, we put the old flesh, where? Out of sight. Burial. It's because of spiritual death. And we come to um, faith in Christ, we recognize, here's the, the problem is our sin, our own sin. And we want to respond by saying, yeah, I need to act, I, I need to live in such a way that shows I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Important metaphors here of this, um, of this truth, showing that we're made complete in Christ. It was a complete rescue. Number two, it's a complete reversal. A complete reversal. Number two, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it away and taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, you could say it this way it's a complete conversion. You've been converted. It's a conversion or a reversal. In light of your previous condition, you're spiritually dead in your sins. And so the reversal shows up in two ways. Letter A, from death to life. Spiritual death to spiritual life. All the while, physically you're alive, but now you become spiritually alive in Christ. You were once totally and completely dead, spiritually speaking, Um, The Bible says it in various ways to get this point across. Spiritually dead or spiritually blind. You can't see. And Christ came along and brought the solution. Now, our condition was we were dead in our trespasses. We were distant in relation to God. We were like alienated from God as with the Gentiles. They're alienated from God. They're distant from God. And there's no idea of this um, concept and this metaphor, again, of circumcision or baptism in his death. But upon hearing and responding to the gospel, upon hearing and responding to the gospel, you are given new life. That means you're born again. Now, again, culture has put a bad slant on that, that phrase, being born again. And people out in the world hear it when we say born again. Oh, no, like, ah, oh, that's a plague. I got to stay away from that. And yet Jesus calls for it with Nicodemus. He's insane. In John 3, you must be born again. You must be born again. And if you're here this morning and you're not, you... I just echo Jesus' words. You must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. And all that means is you're having, you're turning to God in faith. And while you're doing that, you're turning away from your sin. You're turning away from the things of this world and, and sin. You're coming to Jesus Christ by faith. And Now, in doing so, you've been made alive. You've been made alive together with Christ. Uh, And Jesus, when he says, I'm the living water, you go, yeah. 
Why? Because you understand it. He says, I am the resurrection. You go, yes, because he's provided new life. He's promised it and he's brought it about and he's promised it for those who walk with him. And he says, I'm the bread of life. All this refers to here's the new life we have in Christ. So we're brought from death to life. And letter B, it's a reversal from guilty to forgiven. Guilty to forgiven. Um, my family has had to, uh, years ago, had to be in a court situation. And it was a, a very tense, very um, uptight situation. And uh, I, I, I would never want to go through that again. Just too much pressure. And many of you, you, you understand what that's like. You go into the courtroom, uh, and the real courtroom thing, and you go, Whoa, uh, I don't want to do anything, say anything, I'll get in trouble. And, and here in the cor- courtroom before God, God's the judge. And have you been set free by the judge? Has the judge said, you're, you're no longer guilty? There's no condemnation on you because of your sin. All of us are guilty of sin. And yet the judge, God, the judge says, no, you're you're not guilty. And you're you're forgiven. You're pardoned. And it's because of Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus? If you have, then you can say, "I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven of, the Bible says right here, all of our trespasses. And the word forgiven there is to show favor. Isn't that beautiful? The word for forgiven is to show favor. Uh, to give freely. Meaning grace. It's His grace. And He says it right here. We've, we had a record of debt before God. You see that there? Verse 14. He said, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt. Everyone has a certificate of debt hanging over their heads. And you're you're guilty in that way because of this this certificate of debt. To who? To the law. To God. You're guilty. And through Christ, this guilty condition... wiped out it's wiped out i i don't know about you if you've been a christian for a long time maybe you've settled into this yeah yeah i know cool that's wrong that's that's a that's a a slacker kind of thinking there we ought to be rejoicing because we've been forgiven he wiped it out and then he nailed it to the cross said you're forgiven and it's as if to proclaim no debt you're pardoned it's paid in full christ did it and by dying on the cross he was there paying for the debt himself he paid the penalty are you still my friend are you still holding it at, a, at arm's length and not welcoming it for yourself? You must be born again. You must come through faith in Jesus Christ for Him to forgive you. A priest cannot forgive you. A pastor cannot forgive you. A pope cannot forgive you. 
Jesus Christ is the only one. And he performed what was needed. And through God being the perfect judge, God says, the debt's been paid. Now, for us who have already come to faith in Christ, we need to be rejoicing in this throughout our lives. We need to be praising him. Okay? So, it's been a a complete package. It's a complete rescue. It's a complete reversal. And I love this in verse 15. Verse 15 tells us it was a complete route. It was a complete route. A total domination against his enemies. They didn't stand a chance when he died at the cross. And yet, all the while, Satan is figuring, yeah, we got it. This is great. He's, he's going to die. And yet, in Christ's death, listen, verse 15, look at it with me. He says, when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, spiritual ones, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, or through the, the cross. So what happened at the cross? It's as if, and, and we go back to the gospel in Genesis 3. And what happened there? The gospel in Genesis 3? Here's God saying, and he, the seed, will do what to the serpent? I love it. At the cross, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. A, prof- a, a fulfilled prophecy. He crushed the head of the serpent. Yes, skirmishes are still going about even now, even in this day, where we, we find, um, you know, the enemy, Satan, and spiritual warfare on about. But guess what? It's all one. It's all, it's one. It's not done, but we love to say it, one and done. No, he, he, the battle is won. He crushed the serpent's head. And here in verse 15, look at what he says. It's a complete rout. Letter A, the enemies are defeated. Letter B, the enemies are disarmed. Letter C, enemies are disgraced or put to open shame. You think, wow, that's... They're put to open shame? Yes. For so long, Satan and, and the enemy has ridiculed has done their best to stain and deceive and do all sorts of things that would take away from what God did in Christ. And so now we see that Satan and the demons, letter A, they're all defeated. And by the way, some of you know this. This is imaging what the Roman uh, emperor accomplished. And when the Roman emperor came back after a big, huge defeat, he, he was like, yeah. Here we go. And everyone's in the train, in the, in the procession of victory. And so number one, the enemy was defeated with the crushing of the head of, of the enemy camp, Satan himself, the serpent. But then letter B, the enemy is being dragged along and they have been disarmed. The enemy has been stripped of their power, rendered helpless. Okay? Rendered helpless. And then let her see, they're put to open shame. Christ, the victor, puts the enemies to open shame. He's making an example of them. Why? 
for his glory. For his glory. So it's through his death and resurrection that Christ is made a spectacle of his enemies. Christ died at the cross bearing our sin, bearing our shame. And now he will bring about the most sweeping victory this world has ever or will ever see. You know, in, in such a small little way, we think of it in, in, in the realm of like, here's, for instance, the basketball playoffs, right? And um, um, we take, for instance, the San Antonio Spurs. You know, they've won all their games. They just wiped out the competition. And that's the idea here. Here's, here's a total rout of the enemy. But it's in a much, much more serious way that Jesus Christ has accomplished it. So, we come to this. If you're a Christian, you do well, Christian, to stop believing the voices that you would pick up. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird and say you're, you're hearing voices in your head. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in the, in the world of, in our world and in the culture, the voices that you pick up on, you need to stop believing those. And believe what the Word of God tells you. Jesus said it is finished. God says here in Colossians, he, it's a complete package deal. I haven't overlooked anything. All you need to do is walk with Jesus and trust Him and keep growing. So you will do well to stop believing the voices that try to convince you of empty, vain promises or those that try to convince you that you are unwanted, unworthy, unable. And don't let the voices of self-promoting philosophies or fine-sounding arguments deceive you, dilute you, or divert you from life according to Christ. That's what he says earlier in verse 8. Rather than according to Christ. That's what we're supposed to go after. So our faith in Jesus Christ, which is a gift from God anyway, associates us with the fact that I belong to Him. I've been identified with Him. And I belong to Him. And I was, in other words, and I don't want to make a big deal about this, but listen, you and I were worth redeeming. You were worth redeeming. And so there you go. We don't have to go searching for our self-worth. It's found in Jesus Christ. He valued you and I enough to send His own beloved Son to die on the cross. And now, not only that, but He's empowered you by making you alive in Christ. Empowered to be all that He meant us to be. To be a reflection of Jesus Christ in this world. To be a light in a dark world. To be salt to a dying world. So now, what awaits is for you. What awaits? God did it all. Jesus accomplished it. Complete deal. Package deal. And now what awaits is for you and I to walk with Him. Will you do that today? Will you do that tomorrow? Through the week? Will you rejoice in your new life? Will you rejoice in the fact that He's completely forgiven you of your sins? Will you rejoice in that today? Will you 
Or will we listen to the voices that we hear and that, oh, you know, I get down in the dumps about stuff. Yes, I get down in the dumps and you do too, but what are we going to do about it? How are you going to respond? What has he left you with? Here's the final thing. He's left you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's left you to follow in his procession. What is his procession? Victory. He accomplished it at Calvary. Okay. So, order. We need to order our lives after the position that he's given to us in Jesus. And finally, is it's this. Again, if, if you're here this morning and you've not made profession of faith in Christ, you must be born again. You must come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you were born for. You weren't born for anything else. You were born for Him, for His glory. And at the end, every knee, whether believer or unbeliever, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And even in doing that, if you're not made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can spend an eternity apart from God. And we plead with you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Be brought back together in a right relationship. How do you do that? You can do it right where you're seated and say, I know I'm a sinner. I need to believe in Jesus Christ. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I call out to Him to come in and cleanse me. Come in and and fill me up. Because I believe that what He did was for me. If you did that, if you do that, it's something that we want to encourage you to come and... and I, I want to be the first one in line to hear that you've done it. That you've confessed your, your, the fact that you are a sinner. You're guilty before God. That you then put faith in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. You do that you've done the right thing. And you do that, and He has already promised to all who believe in Him, He's promised eternal life. He's promised a home in heaven. And I don't know, maybe it's just this American spirit, we get off thinking, hey, everyone's going to heaven, so what's the big deal? Wrong. No, not everyone's going to heaven. It's those who have put faith in Jesus Christ so that in the courtroom before God, as the judge, you can say, Jesus paid the price for me. But if that's not taken, if that transaction hasn't taken place yet, what are you waiting for? Because not a one of us can predict what will happen this week. Not a one of us. We don't know how, how much longer we have. Being 20, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, we, we have no clue. And healthier people than I have dropped dead from a heart attack. <laughs> Are you ready to meet God? And Christian, let's, let's join together in encouraging one another about what Jesus has accomplished already on our behalf and that we can walk our lives in that train of victory that He leads in that procession. He triumphed at the cross. 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for the forgiveness of our sins, where a perfect sacrifice was accomplished through Jesus, that all sin, all of my sin, and the sin of all believers is, is taken care of. And so, Lord, work in your wonderful way right now to help convince people. Um, you're the best one to convince, Lord. You're the best one to show and reveal and expose um, the hidden secrets of man. So, Lord, I pray that you would do your good work now in bringing people to faith in Christ for eternal salvation. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for not only a crucified Jesus, but a risen, resurrected Savior, a victorious Savior. Help us who say that we're believers to walk with you and rejoice as we go in, in your train of victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.